Good morning, Bob. Well, good wow. morning. Good morning. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. How is the light here. Uh, uh, Am I in shadow? Yeah. I. Yeah. Let me see. Let me see. All right. Thanks, Bill. Sorry. A second. Is that okay. Yeah. Acceptable? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's Manhattan. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Been yeah. up in yeah. Brooklyn for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Romping with Rory. <laughs> Bill, uh, Ella drove down yesterday morning and uh, she, uh, Ella's taking these two weeks off and she drove down yesterday morning and dropped Rory off. Um, Rory was here for a couple hours while Ella did some things and then uh, we had lunch together, and so it was about three hours, Bill. I swear I needed a five-hour nap when. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> she, uh, she's quite the little dynamo, but yeah, yeah. We had a great time. Cool. What are your plans, Bill, for Christmas? Uh, maybe. Uh, uh, maybe. <clears throat> Uh, the Christmas uh, um, Christmas time is uh, um, I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry uh, uh, Christmas is here uh, Again, um, and we're, we're going uh, to uh, the um, Christmas. Uh, we have we have the tree, you know. Um, yeah. 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 That's well. Uh, will it be Christmas in uh, New York City or? No, no. Newtown uh, Square? Down at yeah, Newtown Square. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah, we um, we'll have some folks over. It's, it'll be fairly quiet. Um, yeah. But it's it's always a nice time. So Wendy's sister and her husband and their two kids and Wendy's mom, I think will be with us. And maybe Christmas Day, also her brother and a couple of his sons. So it yeah. should be very nice. Should be very nice. Wow, Hurricane Lockhead. Yeah. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning to you. Am I here? Oh, there's, yeah. there's some video, yeah. hold on. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Christopher, how the Christopher. heck are you? Yeah. Oh, great. Well, How are you, boys? Great. Wow. Great. Great. Yeah. Yes. Now, is this a mountain lion or is this the cat who's a dog? Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is the cat who's a dog. Uh, yeah. no, no mountain lions yet. 
<laughs> please. We don't need any more fucking pets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is um this is Bean and uh long time you know, see. He's my dog and uh, he yeah. does everything with me. I take him to Target and shit. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. It's a quite something yeah. when you walk into Target with him. Yeah. Well, how are you, you doing, know, gentlemen? I think uh, well, cats are, uh, or dogs, you know, come into restaurants and you know, I'm not real thrilled about that, but I'd love to see somebody walk in Target. Now, does Bean go on a leash or Bean just follows you natively? He, he goes on a leash. He follows me natively, too. But when we go out, he's on a leash. And I would say he probably gets carried half to two thirds of the time. So when we go on walks, um, but he will walk. Uh, but when I go into Target or a store with him, I'm normally carrying him or he'll sit. If I have a cart, he'll sit in the baby cart section. Um, when I go to the pot store, I just I just carry him into the pot store. <laughs> Sure, because <laughs> we have the we have the Whole Foods of Pot around here, so you know you just yeah. you know, just tell them he's my uh, emotional support dog. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Person might say, "Well, that is a full full load for that animal to carry." Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I walked into Starbucks with him the other day, and I thought, "Oh, you know, are they going to give me shit for bringing an animal in?" You know, because I guess maybe you're not supposed to do that. I don't know. Um, and there was a bunch of cops sitting in there and I was like, oh, am I going to somebody going to yell at me or something? You know, well, I walk in, it's all gals. First of all, if I had known any of this while I was single, I would have got being a long time ago because you walk in anywhere with him. Women lose their minds. Yes. It yes. turns out cops do too. So no, everybody was very, is very happy to see the Beanmeister at Starbucks. So, so far I've had nobody complain and everybody get very excited and, and he's so friendly and shit. Like, kill you know anybody can hold him or yep. you know yeah he cleans up nicely that's good to see he does he doesn't smell too bad although sometimes his ass is a little he is a boy <laughs> and he rolls around and i don't like it when he goes in the fucking chicken coop and rolls around and all the chicken shit that's not good <laughs> he's uh, very he's he does not want you talking about this story chris you can tell he's he's agitated is he, is he getting twitchy i'm sorry my buddy i'm sorry little man <laughs> Oh, here, let me make sure I turned my fucking phone off. But how are you guys doing? I just looked. I think it's been six months. It, wow. Long time. Yes. Wow. Bill said long time no see. So how are you guys yeah. doing? You you sold the business or you tell me what happened. Yes. Uh, I did, Chris. I, the Cloudwars Media Business, I sold that in August. Um, it's a the company that acquired it is uh, a real turnaround operation here. The CEO is a guy brought in about a year ago, a private equity company hired him. And uh, I've worked with this guy, uh, oh, 12 years or so at Information Week. John Seaford is his name. He's a big he sounds very boy. familiar. Would I have known him? Yes. He was yeah. a publisher there for a while. Terrific okay. guy. So we sort of merging Cloud Wars into uh, a new thing that he's doing with his company called Acceleration Economy. It's going to so take my fucking water now. <laughs> Cloud Wars is now Acceleration sort of Economy. Cloud Wars is sort of the uh, cornerstone of accelerationeconomy.com. So we do events, uh, news, analysis, and then we have an analyst network now of about uh, 18 or 19 analysts. Get your butt out of the shot, buddy. <laughs> So it's an analyst firm media company hybrid? Yes, and events. 
end the events. It's going to be the, the big doggy. Chris, Cloud Wars. Are we ever going to have a, a, you mean in person analog events? We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Cloud Wars Expo at the Moscone Center, June 28, 29, 30. And uh, we. Seriously? Yes. Yes. Wow. What are we calling it? The Cloud Wars what? Cloud Wars oh, Expo. Cloud Wars Expo. Wow. Yep. Yep. Wow, uh, dude. <laughs> I don't know so if we're going to be allowed to go to that, though. I mean. Well, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we've, we've done some pretty cool digital events so far. Giant is a bit of a force of nature. And um, I this deal, I said, well, you know, talk to Tim Foss. It'll take, you know, a small portion up front. I'll roll the rest of, you know, this acquisition money into the new company. And uh, I signed on for three years, two weeks before my 65th birthday. So I don't know if I should have my head examined or something, but no, we think we're going to pump this guy up into something uh, big and plump and have some big company come in and buy us in a couple of years. Well, how cool. And congratulations. I mean, what a wonderful thing that in the, uh, you know, this stage of your career that you would reinvent yourself in this new creator model and you would build up an audience and you would build your fault. I and mean, what you're doing on LinkedIn is amazing. Your 32nd cloud wars are those things, those little sitting there, professor Evans with his <laughs> fucking whiteboard and shit. <laughs> yeah. That shit is great. I bet you it's done a lot that, that shit on LinkedIn for you. Hasn't it? Chris, it has just, um, even before the Cerner stuff came up with Oracle, but, um, just from Oracle's earnings call, did three articles and three Cloud Wars minutes based on earnings call stuff. So um, close to 100,000 views on LinkedIn of the articles and wow, 30,000 views of these three videos. So yeah, where'd the cat go? Are you throwing beans right there? Down? I just, I, where the fuck did my water go? <laughs> it was there. We saw it. I know. It was right the fuck here. Where, where could it possibly have gone? Does the cat take water? I think Bean just took my fucking cup somewhere. I, I have no <laughs> idea. Are you, a, are you a pothead fucker? You know, I spend a third of my time playing hide and seek. Oh, it's right in front of me. Here it is. <laughs> right there. Right where I left it. Normally I have it over here. I spend a third of my day playing hide and seek with my fucking self. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, it must make the Well, that's exciting. Busy. So... So why sign on for three years? What is it about this project that makes you say, hey, yeah, man, I'm in. Um, 65 plus, I'm going. I I know that, uh, you know, what I was doing at CloudWars couldn't scale. I was having a great time doing it myself. It was very nice getting to work with Bill and some other people. But um, <clears throat> John has a lot of uh, experience in events. He has a lot of experience in digital stuff. And he just is, he thinks in terms of you know a real business person so he's able to take a lot of the stuff i've been doing leveraging it in a lot of different ways that you know i could never have done both either in my head or organizationally and he's we've got a small team about 20 people and uh this network of uh contractor analysts so chris i was just inspired by this possibility of doing stuff and i i know i'm 65 but i feel like uh, i enjoy working i enjoy the stuff we're covering, I think this is a, a remarkable part of the world to be in. in. The next few years should be pretty fun and getting to do it with a nut like John. Um, you know, I could sit around and start to eat mush all day, but I think this is a better way to go. 
Yes, I applaud you for that. And I'll tell you, um, we'll see where you are in three years. But, um, you know, as you know, I have tried multiple times to retire and completely failed. <laughs> and so I decided at the at the strong urging of all people of Bill Walton, having Bill Walton as a friend is one of the greatest experiences ever. Nice. But uh, he really uh, he put his giant size 18 foot right up my sphincter and said, look, don't use the R word anymore. You're not retired. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's right. And um, and I've come to a place in my life where I think the types of things I'm doing now, I, I'm going to do them till I'm not here. Yeah. Yeah. It's and very obvious. It's like very clear to me now. It's very mission focused. It's just very, very clear. Um, and so I, I share that with you just to say this is kind of who you are. And I know you, there's lots of other sides of Bob and all that's wonderful and grandpa and all those other things that you want to do in life. Um, but I think the three of us are similar in this vein, which is this is the thing that we're most uh, expert at. This is the thing that we're most creative and innovative at. And this is the thing that gives us, at least on the professional part of our life, the most juice. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you, know, you don't want to become Michael Jordan playing baseball. Like, what do you... <laughs> and then if you stop doing it, you lose all of that stuff. And the reality is, I don't know, you tell me from a thinking point of view, from in touch with what's going on point of view, from a creative point of view, from a ability to communicate to the world point of view. I don't know. It looks like to me as your friend and, and watcher consumer that you're the best you've ever been. You're at the top of your game. Well, Chris, thank you. You know, from you, that, that means a lot. I do feel uh, I, I was having dinner with a friend last night, guy I've known for more than 30 years. And I said, there's certainly some parts about being 65 that I don't care for so much, but I think I do fewer stupid things than I used to. And occasionally <laughs> I think I've actually come to know myself a little bit better and be comfortable with some of the things like this. So exactly what you said, exactly what you said. And, you know, having Wendy's full support and endorsement on all this. And she says, you know, this is what you love. This is what you, you're having fun with. Go do it. And, uh, you know, no looking back, no, no halfway stuff. So yeah, it's been great. And I, I getting to continue to work with Ella, uh, occasionally some things with Glenn. So it's really, uh, it's really like a fairy tale for me, Chris. It's just been fantastic. Did we, uh, I had myself on mute long may the fairy tale continue. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, Chris, I wanted to mention one thing among, you know, we, uh, happy trio here who've been doing this for a few years. This will be the last time that we do one of these with, with our friend, Bill Cozell. Oh no. What's going uh, on, Bill? Oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing cloud wars live and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll be there in a little while. Yeah. So Bill's going to, uh, be working with us, Chris, through the end of this year. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be doing some different things, but, uh, uh Bill has produced every one of the, I don't know, 425 episodes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What an achievement. Yeah. Congratulations, Bill. And I'll, I'll miss okay. you. Okay. Will you be lurking at least? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think, Bill, anytime you want, you know, sit down on these, uh, these, you know, uh, explorations into the mind of the deep, dark recesses of Christopher Lockhead's mind. You're always <laughs> yeah. I know it's we a all scary place away. to go, Bill. It is. And yeah. we all walk away from those different from when we entered, which is a good <laughs> thing. Well, hopefully that'll happen again today. Um, as usual, I have a lot on my mind. All right. I do a lot of writing, a lot of thinking. Um, I think people are getting a lot of stuff, maybe not exactly the way they could be getting it. Um, so uh, as usual, there's lots to talk about. And I cut out like five things from, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. Are we doing a three hour special here, Lockhead? What are we doing? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh. anyway, there's a bunch of stuff I cut out, but um, uh, I'm stoked to be back. I sent you the doc. Hopefully you guys have it. Got it. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. The old group honey. All right. Good. Uh, Bill or uh, Chris always looks like, you know, very studly. Am I acceptable yeah. here on this? Yeah. Uh, this yes. Yes. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll go and mute. Let's wind up. Thanks, Bill. I'll talk here for a second. Make sure the camera's over on me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is in full swing. It's changing every part of our personal lives, our business lives, all the spaces in between, if there are even any spaces in between the personal and professional. And we've got today as one of our guests, one of our favorite monthly digital all-stars, Christopher Lockhead. Christopher is a best-selling author, podcaster. He's been a CMO at various Silicon Valley success stories. Uh, he's a big thinker, a little bit of a nut. He's a surfer, other things we've missed in the last few months. And Christopher, it is fantastic to have you back. Welcome. Thanks, Bob. Love you. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me back. Um, I know uh, a minute ago, the Beaner was walking around. Any chance we'll see the big fella? Uh, very likely. He, uh, I think he got, I think he might've saw a bird or something, but yeah. Um, um, he generally at very unexpected times, he just jumps up on my desk and sticks his butt right in the camera or something yeah. along those yeah. lines. And Chris, I know last time we talked, you were talking about the whole different, a new category of human beings, the yes. digital natives. Would Bean qualify as a new category of cat? Because right, he believes he's a dog. Isn't that right? Yes. Well, as you know, there's been a breakthrough in diversity inclusion, uh, self-acceptance, self-expression, and the like. And so uh, Bean uh, looks like a cat, but he identifies as a dog. <laughs> Can I ask, when you go to the, the store for food, sustenance for the Beaner, dog food, cat food? He likes both, but he tends a little more to cat food. So he's really sort of... Uh, uh, he's kind of an a, 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 a in-betweener. Okay, okay. But I very dog, very, very, very dog-like. Uh, always fun to take him out on walks. We walk, walk him on a leash uh, and walk. You know, he walks for some of it. I carry him for a lot of it. But uh, yes, I do take him to the store with me. When we first got him, he's about a year and a half old now, but when we first got him, he was so dog-like as a puppy that I just said, all right, listen, if you're a fucking dog, I'm going to treat you like a dog. And so he goes in the car with me. And even in the car, it's funny, you know, whenever I have him in public, it, 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 it causes a, a stir 
Um, and in the even in the car, people are not used to seeing a cat in the car outside of a you know carrier or whatever. And he'll like be on my lap and he'll poke his head out the window at a stoplight or whatever. And people are like, this is, oh, this is a cat in the car. <laughs> or sometimes he likes to lay on the dash in between the dash and the windshield, you know, and he's kind of long because he's, yeah. he's part Maine Coon. So he's yeah. sort of a bigger dude and particularly long. And he sort of looks like some kind of a, I don't know, some kind of a wicked rug or something on the, on the yeah. dash. Well, like you said, he's a bit of a crossover there. Chris and a little he's bit different but I think Chris you know that uh, thank you for the little uh sidebar there on Bean and what's going on but I think one of the uh one of the aspects of your outlook on things that everybody enjoys so much and why you've done so well as an author and a podcaster and a thinker is you tend to look at the sorts of things that most of us look at we see one thing you often see something from a different angle a different approach so it's always fun to get your perspectives on things, they're, uh, they're unique, they're compelling. And I know a couple of times from the first time I've heard you say stuff, I said, well, okay, that's it. My buddy's, he's gone off the rails. This is really nuts. But generally, generally, you know, time proves that uh, you're right on the mark with this stuff. So wondering what you have for us today, Chris. Well, a number of topics. Um, so obviously we just came through um, the, you know, the holiday season, right? And um, one of the hallmarks of the holiday season, of course, is um, virtually every B2C company in the world puts on a big sale. Not all, of course, but a lot. And, and of, of course, particularly here in the United States, we've been trained by retailers to wait for this thing called Black Friday, right? After Thanksgiving. And so if you were thinking, I don't know, maybe it was September and maybe you're thinking about a new a uh, new mock turtleneck because maybe the, the collection was getting light and you thought maybe I need a couple new ones. And you, it was in September, certainly in October, you'd think, Hey, wait a minute, maybe I should wait because they're going to go on sale on black Friday. And then of course, those of us in the technology industry, we had to come up with our own. So we're very smart, by the way, cyber Monday. Uh -huh. Right. And so, so, so here's the interesting thing about that. You talk about thinking differently, the entire B2C world, with some exceptions, but a huge percent of it, percentage of it has literally taught the American consumer to wait for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And some people do that for a few months in advance. Um, that's not great for business. And it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? My understanding, and I'm not an expert on on the, the B2C world like my buddy Eddie Yoon is, but as he shares with me, you know, this all started because, of course, the um, uh, B2C companies wanted to goose their numbers at the end of the year. And of course, in the holiday season, people are in the giving mood and Christmas gifts and turkeys and, and, and the like. Uh, and so it became this game of discount jump ball. Yeah. But in so doing, they taught all the consumers to wait for this which of course uh, destroys their margins. Well, here's the aha. When you study it, as we have, and we wrote a whole category pirates on this, uh, discounting doesn't really work. I mean, it works to move TVs for sure. All you gotta do is look at all the idiots going to a Best Buy on Black Friday, um, you know, getting into fights. You know, it looks like a scene from Gladiator or Road Warrior or something. 
Um, so it works to move product. But here's the aha that most people missed. In America, we ran a 10-year experiment called can you know big discounting work? And we proved it can't. That experiment is a company called Groupon. And if you remember, there was a moment in time, roughly a decade or so ago, where Groupon was the hottest yeah. company, certainly in America and maybe even beyond. Uh, Google offered to buy them for $6 billion, back when $6 billion was money. <laughs> Six billion now, not so much. They didn't take it. That one's kind of right up there with not selling Yahoo to Microsoft for me. You know, that was like, ooh, bad idea. Because yeah. well, here's what happened, of course. All these small businesses, the small entrepreneurs, the ones that I have a very, very uh, big place in my heart for, our local pizza shops, our local merchants, our all the local restaurants that we love, the, the boutiques, the nail salons and hair salons and, you know, all these places, right? The physiotherapists and gyms and you name it, all did Groupons. And in the beginning, it was great. Oh, my God, there's a million people here to get our shit, right? But as people continued to do these Groupons, what they found out was the customers sucked. And so the Groupon customers, if you had a salon of some kind, a restaurant of some kind, a gym of some kind, et cetera, the customer acquisition you got from Groupon were literally the shittiest customers of all time. And a huge percentage of small entrepreneurs said, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And so 10 years later, the company uh, had, had a market cap of 13 billion at its IPO. It's under a billion now well here's the aha groupon is black friday all year long you can have black friday any day you want so we tried this for 10 years it became very clear that with some some exceptions of course no hard and fast rules but for the most part the buyers that are only interested in a deal are not buyers a lot of companies want some companies do but groupon is basically irrelevant today and is no longer considered a meaningful channel for small entrepreneurs because the customers that it got them sucked and they didn't want those customers. And so I find it fascinating that uh, we continue to do Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And my, my brother from another mother, my partner in Category Pirates, Eddie Yoon, he wrote an incredible book that I, I really wish everybody would read called Super Consumers. And the insight is deceptively simple, but the insight is uh, roughly 10% of customers in the category, not 10% of your customers, customers in the category, drive the category and represent sometimes over 70% of the profits. And so the 70% of profits. Correct. And he's, you know, he's a HBR guy and, you know, super consumers is published by Harvard press the spreadsheet. He's a fucking spreadsheet. Uh, Jedi master, right? It's so fun having a data meister around <laughs> at all times. Like, hey, Eddie, go figure this out. And he comes back with this incredible shit. <laughs> Anyways, um, and so the aha here is that all categories and therefore all companies are really a function of their ability to cultivate long-term relationships as measured by LTV, lifetime value, with super consumers. 
And so when you realize that, you realize that this mass discounting is pure insanity. And, um, and yet we continue to do it. And so it's just this fascinating thing that the data is very, very clear. Mass discounting and couponing is not good for business. It's good for clearing shit, but it's not good for long-term value of your business and building long-term value and relationships with customers. And yet, like a bunch of zombies, we just go off and do it. We just can't help ourselves, right? We just, the board, if you were the CEO, you said, listen, we're not doing Black Friday anymore. We're not doing discounting anymore. They're like, you're not the CEO anymore, right? That we are so um, hypnotized by this thing that uh, we've now taught every consumer in the world to wait for the discount. And uh, if we said, hey, listen, we're going to give you legendary prices all the time, and there is no discount, which is a strategy many companies have adopted to be on the other side of it, that treats the customer fairly. See, the truth is, when you give these big discounts, what it says to the customer is, you've been ripping me off all year, and now you're going to you know, be kind to me. Go fuck yourself, Right. As opposed to the company that says, we're never going to rip you off. We're going to make a healthy profit because we need to be a successful business, but we're going to do it at a fair price. And that's what it's going to be. And that's our different. And so anyway, I guess my point is, A, the data is clear. It doesn't work. It doesn't cultivate super consumers. The obvious evidence is Groupon. Uh, the real strategy is building super consumers and lifetime value with those super consumers. And yet every year, uh, companies put on their uh, suicide outfits and like a bunch of lemmings jump off cliffs. Um, Chris, you know, as you were saying that uh, toward the end there, I thought of that, um, <clears throat> was it uh, General Motors? Didn't they do a spin out like 25, 30 years ago, Saturn? And the big thing about Saturn was, hey, fixed price. You know, we don't hassle the price on the, on the window of the car. That's it. And it was like, okay, that's good. That's a little different. But if the cars are crappy, uh, what, have we, what have we gained here? What that was the problem. Day. Remember, they they differentiated on experience. The whole dealership would come out and they'd put bows on it and they would clap and they'd sing a song or I don't know what they do. Right. They were fun and they made buying a car fun and zany. Right. A little bit low, the way Southwest does. But to your point, uh, they were sort of rust buckets. And the interesting thing today, of course, is if you look at the two companies that you would argue matter the most in what many now are calling the mobility space. Uh, Tesla and Rivian, and uh, both companies uh, fixed price. Both companies, no dealers. And in Rivian's case, uh, not even corporate dealers. So you, you, you can't, the only place you can buy a Rivian is at Rivian.com. <laughs> Whereas, of course, Tesla has their own dealers. And actually, I, I read this the other day. You saw Elon, of course, move the company to Texas. Yeah. Oh, my exes are moving to Texas. And... Um, and um, the fascinating thing about that, Texas has a law preventing car companies from selling direct. So you can't buy a fucking Tesla in Texas. But, but, I, but I digress. There. Pardon uh, me? Yeah. Because um, I had always heard about that, this uh, law. I didn't know if it was a federal law from, you know, 100 years ago, but that the car companies had to sell through dealers. And I thought, okay, that's a, that's a heavy duty uh, lobbying effort or something like that. But today, um, who was it? A guy, you probably know him, Chris, or, but Frank Slootman from, 
Snowflake, in their last yes. earnings call, he talked at great length. It was a major theme of, that he kept coming back to throughout the earnings call. He said, every company in the world, whether you're in the old-fashioned B2B or B2C space, every company in the world is going direct to consumer. And to do that, you need to have a data capability, unlike what they've had before. So he said, you know, that is the thing that's driving our success. So, you know, wildly, wildly different uh, perspective on this. But I think what I was really <laughs> struck by what you said a couple of minutes ago with uh, Groupon and all that, right? And, you know, how you go from being the hottest company in the world, but eventually any business will show its true colors. And what they showed there was that we will gather for you, you know, the businesses who buy our stuff, uh, we'll gather for you the, the crappiest customers for you. And, you know, when you said that the consumers sucked, it's a, that's a tough realization, but that's what they played that game, right? Yeah. And it's, it's for all practice. I mean, look, I, there's some people that are using it, but it's a mega niche and it's, it's no longer uh, relevant really. Uh, and I would agree with Frank. Uh, I don't know that every company is going to be B2C, but a lot of them are. And here's what I do know. If you need government protection for your category, that is to say car dealers to exist, you're in a lot of trouble. And uh, my, my dear friend, um, uh, Kevin Maney, author of many legendary books, uh, uh, we worked together, of course, on Play Bigger. We wrote it together with two other guys. Uh, he, and, he was on my podcast recently. And one of the things he was talking about was um, the uh, disappearance of all friction. And um, at one point in the dot-com era, we were talking about this word disintermediation. Uh -huh. You don't hear that word anymore, but the reality is there's more disintermediation happening right now than there ever was in the 90s. And so, uh, look, it's been clear to many of us for a long time, when you are one click away from the greatest company in any category anywhere in the world, um, all of a sudden, uh, category economics change radically and customer and or consumer behavior changes radically. And when um, time and space are more irrelevant now than ever before, and more layers in between people who actually want to do business together are stripped than ever before. Um, I think that's part of why we're having the innovation and category NATO that we're now having. Yeah, yeah. Um so Chris, tell, tell us a little bit more about that, you know, Kevin's idea about the friction-free. Well, actually, uh, hold on, let me see if I can grab this right here. So this is, this is a few months ago now, but this is a copy of the Atlantic magazine. Uh -huh. And on the cover of it, it says, who killed America's newspapers? And the whole article is about uh, what's happening on in, in your old space. And in this case, a, 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 um, uh, a buyout firm that's been buying a lot of them. But one of the things that Kevin is educating me on is that over half of local newspapers are gone uh, and the other half, you know, they're picking out caskets. Yeah. And the reason for it is simple. And I'll share with you. This is his story, not mine. As a young man, he wanted to be a, a journalist, a writer, a reporter. Uh, and he, um, he had a penchant for business. He had written some stuff about IBM. He, today, he's actually considered IBM's uh, uh, historian. He wrote the defining history of IBM. Anyway, long story longer, 
he got a job at the local newspaper in, in upstate New York where he lived. Um, well, that newspaper doesn't exist anymore. And the reason, and, and when he said at the time, the people, the reason people read those newspapers was it came out immediately. Some towns like my town where I grew up had a morning and an evening paper. And if you wanted to read, say, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or sort of a, you know, big Mac daddy, mega category leading uh, newspaper, you would get two days ago's Wall Street Journal or New York Times. So the reality is the reason his bum squat New York paper was successful was simply access and distribution. Well, now, of course, uh, we consume the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times or, you know, I still like stuff like this, but I, most of the stuff I do both. Right. And I go back and forth between the digital version and the print version. Um, and so and many of us, of course, only uh, uh, choose to experience the digital version. So so his point was when you have access to the number one brands in any category you want digitally, and even if it's an analog product, uh, we live in this next day, and in some cases, same day world, uh, from a delivery perspective, uh, there's sort of very little reason for the bum squat news. Mm -hmm. So the bum squat news turns into a smaller local, we have one here in Santa Cruz, website only that does a wonderful job of covering local things of interest. It's more magazine-y and less newsy, but somewhere in between. And uh, it's called Lookout Santa Cruz, and it's fantastic. We still have an old paper. It's garbage. Um, but the point being, when you can subscribe to whatever you want, um, this need for something that's local dissipates. Well, that's happening everywhere. And so we live in a world where geography matters less every day. And so when we talk about the supply chain, when we talk about distribution, um, we have to look at things and say, well, why does this distribution channel exist? And in the car business, it's now been proven by Tesla and Rivian that car dealers, as we've known them, are essentially stupid. Um, and they've been re rendered mostly useless. Um, and so, and you know, raise your hand if you love going to buy a car. I mean, it's like a hockey puck to the nuts. And so, um, so these businesses that exist because of distribution or geography, uh, or in the case of car dealers, because of government regs, um, that's not going to be true uh, for very much longer. Chris, Bill, excuse me. I have to run and get a power cord for my computer. It's going to zap out. I'll be right back. Then we'll do the BMC thing. Uh, Bill, do you know when this episode will air? Uh, maybe uh, next week. Okay. So in the middle of the holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe uh two weeks ago yeah okay no but sort of around the, close enough to yeah. the holiday so my holiday yes. comments won't feel too old yeah thanks guys sorry Sorry, sorry. I have all the time in the world for you two.
No, no, no. Sorry. Um, all right. I will. Um, I'm going to do the uh, BMC thing. Chris will come back. Chris, that's a fascinating uh, look back at things. Um, I want to take a moment here to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. So Christopher, what you, you had a couple other, as you always do, interesting thoughts to share. Yeah, so um, there's been a really big breakthrough that's happened in uh, what today a lot of people are calling Web3, which I don't know is a very great term. It's a very, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The category name kind of sucks, but um, that's neither here nor there. And it most people identify it as a sort of a combination of, of blockchain. Essentially, anything that's built on the blockchain, for the most part, is considered Web3. Of course, cryptocurrencies being the most prominent use, but there's now many, many others. Um, and the Web3 Foundation describes Web3.0 as, quote, a decentralized and fair internet where users control their own data, identity, and destiny. Um, and so there's it, the interesting thing about some of these high-level ideas, uh, it, it reminds me of the more idealistic, uh, hippie, sort of informed Steve Jobs-esque days of Silicon Valley, where it was about changing the world and making a difference. And, and interestingly, over time, of course, as our industry has become... Um, a mega industry, uh, there's mega money in it. There's a lot of media influence. So a lot of the companies today we call tech companies actually sell advertising. So that's much more of a media company. Yes, they use tech by all means. Um, but when you sell ads, that's very different than, you know, for example, your friend Larry selling uh, databases. Um, and so there was a professionalization, a sort of a growing up and a mediaization, if I could call it that, of the tech industry over time. And, and some of the idealistic uh, do good in the world hippie stuff went away and it was all about, uh, you know, uh, show me the money. And you just sort of you sort of look at the idealistic differences between a Jobs and a Zuckerberg. And, and it's very clear. Anyway, interestingly enough, um, the Web3 folks, a lot of them, of course, are native digitals, that is to say 35 and under. And they're almost wanting to bring back this sort of more idealistic, decentralized, <clears throat> empower the individual. Even the category of personal computers in the beginning, the, the, the point of view was all about empowering the individual. And so I, I think that's an interesting side note. However, what I would say is if um, you haven't, if anybody in our industry hasn't fallen deep into the Web3 rabbit hole yet, now's the time. And here's the data. The Wall Street Journal just reported the following. Blockchain um, venture investments, 2018, 4.7 billion. 2019, it actually goes down to 3.1 billion. Stays flat in 2020, 3.1 billion. And, and I don't know why this isn't being reported widely, in 2021, venture investors invested 15 billion 
into Web3 slash blockchain. Um, and so now everybody into the pool. And I know there's a lot of uh, poo-pooing of this shit. There's a lot of this is stupid. There's a lot of uh, NFTs or who would pay 25 million for a GIF, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's now time to not think that way, I think. Uh, it's now time to pay some serious, serious attention. And I don't know if Web3 will land in the direction it's landing. I don't know if it'll do. I'm not, I'm not espousing some particular point of view about the stack or any of that. What I, but what I am saying is that now is the time to pay close attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's lots of other sort of big indicators Sequoia Capital, uh, arguably in the top three ever, venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, Oracle, Cisco, Apple. I mean, it's at Google. I mean, it's an insane list. Um, Bloomberg just did a big story in the last few days about uh, they've sort of been stair-stepping up into it. And they got, they've gotten really serious over time. They have several partners focused on it. They made 21 uh web three investments in 2021 representing a quarter of all of sequoia's investments according to a story in in bloomberg uh and uh sequoia and i think this is true of others i think andreessen horowitz has been doing this as well uh have if they're not officially lobbyists they're real close to it uh helping to educate our folks in washington because i don't know if you've ever heard uh, a congressperson or a senator talk about any of this stuff. It's fucking terrifying. I try never to listen to those people on any subject. I heard Amy Klobuchar, Klobuchar talking about what needs to happen in tech. And um, <laughs> uh, when you can't even pronounce the names of the companies, like it's just, you know, some of these people still have their admins print out their emails. I mean, it, you know, and then they Xerox things. I mean, it's like, it is insane to me. And the other thing, too, this is just a side note. How the fuck can you have lawmakers making laws about the future of technology when, in point of fact, uh, almost none of them are native digital? Yeah. But I digress. We could talk a lot about Washington. Um, the point being, you now have Andreessen Horowitz, who's been very early on this stuff. They made their first uh, investment in this area in a company called Coinbase. Uh, in 2013, uh, Andreessen Horowitz just announced that they had a $2.2 billion crypto fund earlier this year. And interestingly enough, one of their lead partners, a, ga a gal named Katie Hahn, uh, left to create her own Web3 fund. So just the point being, it is very unusual in our industry to see for multiple years uh, investments relatively in the name now the same neighborhood you know for three to four billion go to 15 billion and i'm not a prognosticator or an analyst in that way i don't have a crystal ball but my suspicion is that 15 billion number will be meaningfully bigger in 2022 i think we're starting to see exponential because it's starting to get clearer and clearer what the possibility of web3 might be and so really what I just wanted to underscore is this shit is real. Christie's last year sold $150 million in NFTs, AKA digital art. 
And I remember when we at Category Pirates wrote about NFTs in the beginning of 2021, people laughed at us. We got emails calling us, you know, stupid and all this other stuff. Uh, this year, 2021, was the breakout year for NFT sales, $12 billion, wow. according to Business Insider. And then there's this site called Payments.com who did a survey and said, Nearly one in five Americans, or roughly 46 million consumers, said they are likely to make a purchase with cryptocurrency. So still early days, but it's time. If we're not, if we haven't been paying attention, it's time to pay close attention. Yeah, uh, Chris, a couple of thoughts there. One, um, you know, we've whatever it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, we did the web. 20, 30, 40. So I, I think it's great that somebody's sort of bringing this Web3 up just as sort of a rallying point. Say, hey, there's something going on here. It's very different than what it has been like before. Let's pay attention. So I suspect that Web3 name will get blown out pretty quickly for something that's a little more tangible and significant and relevant. But um, the, the thing itself is great. We've got, uh, you know, the new company that I mentioned to you, we've got... Uh, some called the blockchain battleground coming up in, in, uh, in March. Um, one of the people on our board of directors, his name is Jason Yanowitz, 29 years old. He's the co-founder CEO of a company called Blockworks. And they have just done newsletters and events all around this whole, they cover the crypto side, whereas we'd be looking at it from the blockchain enterprise side. But uh, you know, some of the stories that Jason tells about what's going on there and the, the, uh, almost like it's, it's not a straight line. He said it's almost straight up the number of big consumer companies, the number of big tech companies, these enterprise companies that are really starting to see this is not crazy. And it's, it's not just not crazy. This is something that, as you said, better have the spidey sense, uh, you know, wide awake for this one because it's going to have profound implications. Absolutely, Bob. And, and I, you know, I'm reminded of uh, legendary venture capitalist John Doerr uh, at sort of the height of the dot-com era said something along the lines of uh, he thought that the internet was actually under-hyped. And many people laughed at him. Um, and of course, nobody's laughing now. And look, I'm not an expert. Uh, I'm not saying this is true, but here's what I do know. Assuming that Web3 blockchain at all is not a massive uh, game-changing innovation is a dumb idea right now. It might not be, but I'm, I'm almost wondering if John's words about the internet are now on the verge of becoming true about Web3, that actually it might be underhyped. The other thing I'd tell you is uh, smart people have shared with me, and it's an interesting idea, that in order to produce a massive technological uh, breakthrough in society, um, or any breakthrough in society really, you have to have a bubble. You have to have an exponential thing that, that moves the world from the way it is to a different way. And so even though, for example, there was the dot com and then there was the dot bomb and you know the real estate and boom, and now we're in another real estate and on and on and on. And so part of why you have these booms and busts is when a new model, a new 
a new era of thinking in society, uh, you know, equal rights or whatever it is. If you look at what's happened uh, ever since the, the, the killing of George Floyd and think, you know, you need a dramatic exponential event in order to kind of make the breakthrough happen. Um, invariably it will be, it will feel overhyped. There will be some kind of a takedown, but if you, if you, if you realize that most people overestimate what's possible in the near term, and underestimate what's possible in the long term. You know, we had Marty Cooper on my podcast recently, the inventor of the cell phone. The cell phones lifted over a billion people out of poverty. He didn't know that was going to happen in 1970-whatever or 80-whatever. Anyway, so, so I think we're at the beginning of that. I think we all need to be paying attention, and I think a lot, there's massive opportunity and, like anything like this, massive threat. And now's the time to get educated. Um, Chris, what's your sense just on that of, uh, right, we, uh, there's more information, more data, more access to information, more tools, more uh, awareness of the power of technology. Um, it, are you surprised either one way or, or the other about the, the, the sort of the uptake on this new idea? Um, not really. Um, because, you know, we did a set of analysis uh, for my first book around how long it takes for a category to develop. I could walk you through how we got to this place in the data, but essentially the data showed us that uh, it takes roughly six to 10 years for a new category to tip at some kind of a scale. And we did that by measuring uh, growth and value of companies, yeah. assuming that as companies got more valuable, either private companies or public companies, that would be indicative of category value being created. And, and so, you know, there's this, there's this sort of little bit of a stair step up. There can be a stalling like we saw in these numbers. And then, and then when the jump happens, it's game on. And so, you know, if you think back to people have been talking about these ideas for well over a decade, so it's maybe happened a little slower than some would have thought or some would have liked, but um, it's on now. And I mean, you see big movements happening. I mean, this is a huge part of why uh, Jack Dorsey said he, he left and he's now focused on his uh, new company, Square, which he renamed, of course, Block, and he's all about it. And of course, you can, you know, uh, you can buy a Tesla with cryptocurrency and on and on and on, right? There's just... So the, the sort of some of the more forward zany billionaires are tilting heavy in this direction. And so all indicators are there. And yet um, outside of what I'd call Silicon Valley and deep tech uh, in the general kind of, for lack of better description, enterprise world, business world, um, I think a lot of people kind of go, and ah, nah, 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 this, you know, this made up currency, <laughs> not realizing of course that the u.s dollar is a completely made-up currency um and so uh, i think there's been some poo-pooing going on uh the fact that you can't call morgan stanley and trade crypto is insane um uh, and the fact that a lot of companies in their it organizations aren't doing major experiments with new blockchain applications is kind of insane uh, and so i just i think it's time to start for those who have not been paying attention, it's time to start paying attention. And I would highly encourage going deep into the rabbit hole uh, and suspending some skepticism 
uh, and just go, go into learning mode. Hey, Chris, uh, great advice, I think, for everybody. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask your thoughts on something. Did you see, I don't know, this is two or three weeks ago, but uh, in partnership with AWS, Goldman Sachs announced the uh, Goldman Sachs Cloud for data. Uh, I thought that was uh, that was some 157-year-old, you know, sort of white shoe Wall Street investment firm, and now they're in the cloud business. I thought that is a sign of something, and to me, a little bit like it goes in this direction of what you're saying about crypto, that you know, we for whatever reason seem to think, hey, there's been all this tumultuous change that's happened before, but now. Nothing else is going to change. Things will settle down. Things will just stay the way they are. It's, it's crazy. So um, Goldman Sachs in the cloud business, I think, in a roundabout way, is a prover of the uh, crypto thing. It's a whole new I, I completely agree. And the other thing that is smart uh, is Goldman must understand in the domain of things that are underhyped, and I know this is going to sound crazy, data is underhyped. Yes. And there's actually a very interesting correlation between data and the discussion we had about Slootman's comments on everybody going B2C, which is, um, at least from a growth perspective, data about super consumers is the most valuable data. I'm not talking about research data, r and I'm not talking about those things. But in terms of, if you want to understand where your category might likely be going then data on your supers really matters. And this direct model is incredible. You know, even ourselves at Category Pirates, we have uh, completely um, uh, given the middle finger to the traditional publishing world. And one of the values of that, uh, and specifically having a substack in our case, is we have data on who our supers are. Because as you've subscribed to our substack, by definition, you're a super. Unfortunately, when we sell uh, our content on Amazon as books, as we do, um, Amazon doesn't tell us anything about our customers because Amazon says they're their customers. Right. And so if you're a creator, you know, in, in our case, podcasting and writing and all that kind of stuff, and very similar to the kinds of many of the kinds of things that you do, if, again, your distribution channel is not giving you data on consumers, you have a strategic problem that you need to fix AS fucking AP. Um, and so I think what this is an acknowledgement of is the value of data, the value of data to understand where super consumers are. Of course, there's many other different use case values of data that we don't necessarily need to talk about, but, but um, uh, B2C data about super consumers. If you don't have that, we think you're now at a point where it's where it's almost impossible to become a category leader if you don't have that kind of a data flywheel about super consumers that are driving the category. Uh, Christopher, great stuff. Um, I I missed you missed you dearly over these last few months when you know schedules were not aligning. It's fantastic get back together, and <clears throat> we're uh, doing this episode on December 21st. It'll probably come out in early January, but. May I say, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you and yours. You too. And can I touch on one thing before you kick me out the door? Please, <laughs> please. So I think given everything we just talked about, um, I think now is the time to start thinking about thinking. 
So first, I think we all have to understand what's, ha what's happened with native digitals and native analogs. It's the largest change in the definition of what a human being is probably ever. Native digitals grew up integrated with the technology. Uh, it's interesting. Parents who quote unquote limit screen time, you're taking your children out of their primary experience of life when you do that because the analog experience is secondary. So um, I think that has profound ramifications that most people don't understand. I'll give you a simple example. Um, this word um, digital transformation or this phrase, I think we need to not say that anymore. I agree. Because you can't create the future looking backwards. And by definition, a transformation is taking something the way it is and transforming it into a new way. Uh, Web3 is not that. Web3 is about digital creation. Is, is not reimagining, but imagining. And so I think to be successful in 2022 uh, and beyond, thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. I think if you're a native analog, as you and I are, I'll tell you the advice I've been trying to take. I start with reject the premise. So whatever the conversation is, I reject whatever the old premise is. I may come back to that premise, yep. but in order to think in an unconstrained way, you have to say everything about the way that it is, fuck that, that wrong. Um, and if you're a native analog, I think it also means distrust your instincts. You may go back to them, but the only way to really know whether you're standing on solid ground is to distrust your instincts and reject the premise, stand in a curious mind space, not in a judgmental mind space, and, and, and soak up some stuff. Think digital creation, not digital transformation. There's another big aha here from our friend Andrew Smallwood. He put it beautifully. Native analogs buy analog things digitally. Native digitals buy digital things. That is the essence of this. And so what I would encourage folks to do is uh, we have this kind of uh, this approach we call the breakthrough game is to play the breakthrough game. Imagine yourself five years in the future. Think in a completely unconstrained way that is informed by all of these kinds of things we're talking about and say, if the world could be any way, what might the world be? Um, and so that allows us to freely participate in a different future because the future that is coming is not an extension of the past. And most people are betting that the future is an extension of the past. And what we're seeing with the jump in the VC here is a bet that the future will be different. And so I think the more curious we can be, uh, the more open we can be, um, the more non-judgmental we can be. And I'll just tell you what I've done, which is I surround myself with legendary native digitals. I started a business this year with one of them. And so um, I would encourage particularly native analogs to jump in with both feet in that regard. And with native digitals, uh, there's a huge value to experience. There's a huge value to pattern recognition. You know, the, the things look and feel different, but you and I have been through massive technology innovation and category NATOs before, right? 
So, so the value of a native analog to a native digital, if they can find that place to meet where experience and modernity collide to make something legendary, I think that's what we're striving for in 2022 and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, you know, uh, you're maybe a theme song uh, for that thing of, you know, rejecting the premise out of hand, you know, the Groucho Marx song, uh, whatever, uh, whatever it is, I, how does he sing that song? Whatever it is, I reject it. No matter who dreamed it up or who commenced it, I reject it. It's a great, great song. I'll send you the link for that. I think Please do. Fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> no. <clears throat> he's a little bit of the old school, but he's coming back around. He had the right idea, but about 90 years too early. History matters. It does. It does. Well, my friend, thank you. That closing, uh, closing call to action, I think call to arms by you was wonderful. It's, I think, something that uh, everybody should carry forward into 2022 and be curious, right? Otherwise, uh, we set ourselves up for disappointment, disillusionment, and uh, and I just think uh, it, this is a great and wonderful world. And why go through it, you know, with your eyes half shut and your mind half shut? That's a that's a that's a bad way to live. Particularly when we know those of us who've been in the technology industry, there can be no argument in my mind that right now is the most innovative, the most exciting, the most category creating um, that we've ever had. And it's been talked about a lot, so we don't have to talk about it much, but you know, there's been many gifts out of this horrible uh, disease, right? In terms of people's openness to new. Nobody thought you could do telemedicine overnight or digital school overnight or digital work over. And of course, so, so the other interesting thing is as the technologies are breaking through at this moment, now receptivity to the different has never been higher. And if you're somebody who likes to create things and build things in the technology world, if you're not excited about that, <laughs> get excited. <laughs> yeah. Dummy. Um, I'm just writing that down. Receptivity to different has never been higher. Well, that's great. Chris, those are uh, words live by, words to jump into 22 with. That's fantastic. Well, please give our best to Bean. We missed, uh, we missed the big fellow today, but we'll hope to catch him next time. All right. And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, and, uh, and bless you and all of yours. Same to you, Chris. Thanks so much. Thanks Thank so you, much. brother. All of you folks out there, thank you for being with us. I hope you enjoyed this sort of romp through the uh, ranges of Chris Lockhead's intellect and outlook on things. Remember, receptivity to different has never been high. It's a great thing, great way to look toward going into 2022. Thanks so much for being with us. Happy New Year and a blessed holiday to everybody. Professor, outstanding. It's always a treat. How do we do, Bill? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Right. Um, you're you're re re great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bill. Bill, thank yeah. you. And uh, yeah. Bill, for, you know, we've had fun on all of our podcast episodes. I don't know that we've yeah. had any more fun than working with uh, Dr. Lockhead here. So yeah, yeah, I promise I'll try to, I'll try to, uh, you know, 
hold my own with Chris uh, uh-huh. as we go forward. And uh, I'll miss you so much. Mel. Please, please stay Thank in touch. Okay. And uh, just remind me, I know I meant to uh, give you a lifetime uh, subscription to Category Pirates. Are you getting it? Or did, yes. I, did I remember yes. that? Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. So, Chris, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year yeah. to both. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you.